Lord God, as we are about to enter into new year, we thank you that you are always by our side. Teach us what it means, Lord, that you are a God of new beginnings and help us to be open to you making a new beginning in us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Grace to you and peace from the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If we were living in ancient Rome, we would all be very familiar with Roman mythology. Ancient Roman mythology claimed a wide pantheon of gods and goddesses. And one of those gods was one named Janus, J-A-N-U-S. This is a statuary depiction of what people imagined Janus to look like. Notice that Janus has two faces, one facing backward and one facing forward into the future. The god Janus was considered by the Romans the god of beginnings and endings, the god of doorways and gates, the god of transitions and the passage of time. Consequently, it is conventionally thought that the month of January was named in honor of Janus. January being, of course, the first month of a brand new year, a time of new beginnings. Of course, as we stand on the cusp of a brand new year, we who look to the true God to guide us, we affirm that he is one who is real, who really can make a new beginning in our lives. For he's the God who's made himself known to us in person through the miracle of the incarnation of Christ, God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. That God can make a new beginning. Today we're beginning a new sermon series under the theme, New Beginnings. And over these six weeks, up through February 4th, we're going to explore what it means that the true God is a God of new beginnings. The fact is, if you think about it, he's always been a God of new beginnings. First, we look back into Old Testament, the Old Testament witness. Go all the way back to the beginning of time for us human beings. In the beginning, God did something very new. He created this marvelous universe simply by speaking it into existence. Created the universe around us and everything in it. And then he handmade the crown of his creation, people. Those first people, Adam and Eve. And they lived in wondrous harmony with each other, with God, with the world around. But then, of course, we all know the saddest story in all of history that Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And with their disobedience, sin entered into the world along with all of its consequences, including things like disease, catastrophe, and yes, even death. So what was God to do with this new world he had made that was now spoiled by sin and all of its consequences? Give up on it? No, right then and there, he was committed to making a new beginning. And right there, he made a promise that a descendant of Adam and Eve would one day arise who would crush the head of Satan 
and be the savior of the world and make all things new. We continue with that Old Testament story. We come to Noah and his family who were faithful believers in God when all the world around them had become wicked. God decided to destroy the world with water but to preserve the faithful family of Noah, his wife, their three sons, and their three wives. And from those eight people, God did a new thing and repopulated the world. The story of the Old Testament continues. We jump ahead to David, the shepherd boy, whom God raised up to be the king of Israel. He was a great and mighty king and one man whose heart was devoted to his Lord. And yet he had his failings, didn't he? He committed moral failure. And now what was God to do with David? Wipe his hands of him? God made a new beginning in David's life. He forgave his sin. He restored him as his son and as, a, as the king of the people. And David carried on. Really, the story of all the ancient Israelites is one of God making new beginnings again and again with them because their history is rift with time and time again of them rebelling against God and his word. It did get to the point where God finally allowed the Babylonians to come in and be his army of judgment upon his own people. They came in, they destroyed Jerusalem and its temple. They carried off the people of Judah in exile to faraway Babylon for 70 years, a thousand miles away from their homeland. What were they to think? Had God given up on them? After all, their homeland had become a wasteland. But through his prophet Isaiah, God invited his people to experience a new beginning. No, he didn't give up on them. We hear those words again from Isaiah 43. God says through his prophet to his people, forget the former things, all those past mistakes and rebellions. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. You see, the God of grace and forgiveness and hope not only kept his promise to return those exiled people to their homeland, which he did, but he also then reiterated his promise to one day send the Savior. The promise he had made to Father Abraham centuries earlier that he would send one who would be the suffering servant Messiah who would make all things new. See, God is a God of new beginnings. And then we turn to the witness of the New Testament. And there we see many examples of Jesus himself bringing about new beginnings in the lives of people he encountered. Think of all the numerous people that Jesus healed. What a new beginning of change happened in those people's lives. Not only physical change, spiritual change in their encounter with Jesus. Or we think about the woman at the well that Jesus met that one day. She brought an awful lot to the well that day. 
her past of sin and shame and regret, her current life situation that made her an outcast to society around her. Yet Jesus meets her and he doesn't reject her. He offers her living water, as he called it. And she went away with a brand new life, having experienced a new beginning through Jesus. Or think about a man like Zacchaeus, that wee little man who climbed up in the tree to see Jesus as he came through town that day. A man who wasn't very well liked by his fellow Jews. He was a tax collector. He collected money for Rome and he also pocketed a lot of extra money for himself and was viewed as kind of a thief and a traitor. What would Jesus do with a man like that? Walk away? Jesus went and had lunch in his house that day. And as Luke tells us, Jesus said, salvation has come to this house today for the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. He's a God of new beginnings. When we think about Peter who spent three years studying with Jesus, learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He was the leader of the group of 12 disciples who professed his undaunted faith in Jesus. And yet on the night of darkness, he denied even knowing Jesus three times. What should Jesus do with a man like that? Well, Jesus forgave him, and he restored him back into ministry. And Peter served faithfully until he was crucified upside down, tradition tells us, on account of his bold faith in Jesus who had risen. And then we come to Saul who wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books. Saul, who was a devout Pharisee, committed to the laws of God and upholding it to the nth degree. And when he saw these rebellious followers of the way, he took his Pharisaic religion seriously and became a harsh persecutor of the Christians. Had them thrown in prison, some of them executed And he thought he was doing the right thing religiously. But then one day, Saul was confronted by the risen and ascended Christ himself on the road to Damascus. And the result was a new beginning for Saul. For he was transformed by the forgiving grace of the living Savior. And Saul became arguably the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. And now toward the end of his life and his ministry in his letter to the Philippian Christians, Saul, who was now going by his Greek name, Paul, writes about his own experience of new beginnings. And being rather familiar with athletic competition, Paul uses the language of one who is running a race. And he writes these words to the Philippians. He says, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind, and there was an awful lot in his past. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on toward the goal. Now make no mistake, Paul understands that Heaven is not something that we earn ourselves, that heaven is a free gift that is received through faith in Jesus Christ. 
But in this letter, he's writing about living the Christian life of faith. And he's saying that the the life of faith is kind of like running a race. A race in which we're called to press on, to keep moving forward. But when you run a race, there are often distractions that come along. Obstacles that can get in the way. Things that can get you off track. And Paul's saying that because of the new beginning God had made in his life, he's able to press on, to keep moving forward. And that he lives under grace, and because of grace, he can indeed continue on. How did he say it? Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Saul, Paul had experienced a new beginning, which I dare say led to daily new beginnings throughout his life. God is a God of new beginnings. And so here's my question for all of us today. What kind of new beginnings do you need in your life? Is there a change that you know you need to make, but for whatever reason you just haven't? Is it time for a new beginning? God is ready and eager to help question is, are you ready for a change? I love that story we heard in the gospel lesson for today from John chapter 5. The story of where Jesus meets the man who's alongside the Bethesda pool. In the city of Jerusalem, there was this pool known as Bethesda, which means house of mercy. And it was a place where many disabled people would go and just uh, sit along the pool all day long. Maybe they were blind, some were lame, paralyzed. And among the people in general, there was a common belief, no doubt untrue, a common belief that the waters of the Bethesda pool would occasionally be stirred up by an angel and that if they got into the waters when they were stirred up, those waters would have healing, restorative powers. And so they would sit by the pool and wait. Well, one day Jesus shows up there and he sees a particular man there who had been an invalid, perhaps paralyzed, for 38 years. 38 years. And every day he'd be there. Probably his family would bring him to sit alongside the pool. But I think the most interesting part of the story is when Jesus asked the man a question. He asked the man a rather profound question. He asked him, do you want to get well? I think it's an incredibly important question. Do you want to get well? Now notice the man had not asked Jesus to heal him. Perhaps he was rather comfortable in his disability. After all, a beggar of that day could lose a sometimes profitable and rather easy income if he was cured. And Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? 
Or perhaps he had simply lost the will to be cured. You know, something like this can happen today too in the lives of people. They can get stuck. They can become comfortable in their unhealthiness. And the question is for us today too, do you want to get well? Maybe the unhealthiness is carrying anger and bitterness over something that somebody did to you a long time ago. And you're still holding on to it, thinking that somehow that's going to make it better, when in truth that other person has probably long since forgotten about it, and the only one who's suffering for it is you. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get beyond the anger and the bitterness? God can do a new beginning when it comes to that. Or maybe it has to do with uh, uh, some particular guilt or shame that you're carrying from your past that has kind of paralyzed you. You don't know quite how to get beyond it. Didn't Jesus die to forgive all sin? Do you want to get well? Or perhaps it is an addiction that you maintain, an addiction that you cover up for. The question is, do you want to get well? God is able, but do you want it? Or maybe it's a profound loss that has all but immobilized you. I think it's an important question for all of us to hear. Do you want to get well? God is a God of new beginnings. In this sermon series, we're going to explore a number of different areas of our life in which God is able to make new beginnings. One topic we're going to talk about is relationships, how we relate with other people. Maybe there's a new beginning needed when it comes to that. Or maybe it's your own sense of identity, of really understanding who you are under God's grace. Maybe you need a new beginning in that area. Or maybe it has something to do with your sense of purpose in life. Do you really understand why you're on this planet? Maybe there's a new beginning needed there. We're going to talk about financial freedom. Maybe you need a new beginning when it comes to your finances. And most importantly, we're going to talk about our connection with God. Maybe we all need a new beginning when it comes to that. Friends, in this holy Christmas season, we celebrate the fact that God is a God of new beginnings. Just consider the new thing that he did in that little town of Bethlehem. The Savior of the world was born for you and me. And then when we consider the full story of God's plan to restore people to himself, we see that new beginnings are possible because of the cross and the empty tomb. Because Jesus died in your place and mine and took the punishment we deserve, new beginnings are possible every single day as our sins are washed away. And as we remember our baptism every day, we, we take ourselves back to that cross and are reminded that we're forgiven. And when Jesus rose from the dead, 
He brought about the greatest new beginning of all. He opened the way to heaven for us who trust in him. He reminds us that we too will rise again, a brand new creation in Christ on the last day and will enter into heaven with glorified bodies because of what he did for us, because he's a God of new beginnings and we have new life now and forever. And so friends, as you get ready to go into the year 2018, perhaps those words of Isaiah may take on special meaning for you in this new year. Listen again to what God says. See, I am doing a new thing. I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. So let me ask you, what about you? Is it time for a new beginning? Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, who indeed is able to make all things new.